0: everyone welcome to another episode of the b-side it's a podcast for the film stage where we talk about movie stars and not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous but the movies they made in between today this is one i've been waiting for uh this is one about a movie star who's close to my heart um really in a lot of ways the movie star um in terms of kind of hollywood through the years it's warren Beatty. Who is still alive and making movies. Yeah. And we'll talk about his the last one he made, which might be the last one he'll ever make. We'll we'll get into it. Um, and I'm joined as always with my friend and podcast producer Connor O'Donnell. Hello, Connor. Hello. And friend of the pod, old time friend of myself and Connor. We all interned together in the world of Coming up in indie film in New York and whatnot, um, we have Adam Drozen on the pod. What's up, Adam? Hey, hi, hello. Uh, This is is big. I feel like, Drozen, me and you, the Beatty conversations through the years have been just never-ending. I feel like Beatty's our, our North Star to some degree. This is the Beatty Boys. The Beatty Boys are here (laughs) tonight. Exactly. It's the Beatty Boys, and we're inducting Connor into the Beatty Boys uh, club, if you will. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) So the movies we're going to talk about. Now, so we'll say this right off the bat. We we cheated a little bit per guest request uh, from our boy Adam here. Our B-sides are there. We got a couple A-sides in here. So we're going to go McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Uh, 1971 we're going to go the fortune 1975 and then we're going to jump 15 years we're going to do dick tracy 1990 and then we're going to do 2016's rules don't apply and we'll talk about how much those rules it do or do not apply and i'm looking forward to that conversation me and adam saw rules don't apply together in an empty theater i think the Kipps bay theater right the amc kips bay
1: Yes, it was a nearly empty theater. Oh, was, was there there was one other guy. Uh, there was, I was ugh. lost my We were so yeah, okay, so I uh <laughs> I live in I live in LA. Uh Dan was living in Manhattan at the time and I came back and this was like over Thanksgiving break and this exactly was like, we were so excited because it's like finally a new Beatty movie for the first time in years. Like 15 was, years. Is like opening weekend I'm in town. I'm like we're going to go see this goddamn movie. And uh, it's like this small, small screening room. we were like, oh my god, are we about to be the only people in this theater? Are we about to like, new baby? Turn, on, turn on the phone and do a live commentary and just lose our damn minds? And no, some another pe- person, couple people came in, and uh, it was still amazing. Yeah. But uh, that was a bummer.
0: And it was one of those things where, like, right at the moment, you think to yourself, no one's coming in, right? That's, like, exactly. it's like right at the end of the trailers, <sighs> these two just like walked right in. We we're like, God darn it and uh but whatever we still had a great time um so warren Beatty. now we we should get into kind of where we how we know warren Beatty as a movie star in our own ways but you know look just to kind of set it up this is a guy if you're listening now right or in the future he you know he's lost his luster of course he's post 80 years old you you know him now probably for being one half of the presenters who messed up the oscars right who said la la land when it was in fact moonlight um and and of course that was him and faye dunaway and they co-starred in bonnie and clyde and part of the reason they presented was because it was the 50-year anniversary at the time i believe 2017 oscars and um that was how that happened. Right. So if you're listening, you may think of him first in that context, which is kind of insane. But in fact, Beatty, you know, from the early 60s on was a young, hot, up and coming idol, you know, star idol in a lot of kind of weird movies, not a lot, not not all of which were successful. I I got a chance to re-watch and actually watch a few of those as well. I'll probably mention as we get into it. And then by the 70s, he was the guy, right? Like by 75, he was co-directing, shadow directing Shampoo, which is one of my personal favorite movies. By the late 70s, he had Heaven Can Wait, which got a myriad of Oscar nominations, a couple, of my, I, I think a couple of wins as well, uh, was one of the biggest hits of the year. I followed it right up with Reds only a couple years later, which was also a huge Oscar movie, did very well in the theater, him and Diane Keaton, Jack Nicholson as well. And then, you know, uh, Ishtar happens in 87, Elaine May movie, him and Dustin Hoffman, kind of a famous flop. We've all taken, I think, film Twitter, film culture has taken it back to some degree now, 30 years later. And I think I personally think it is a funny movie. Have you guys seen Ishtar? Have you guys both either I have of you guys not, seen no. Ishtar? No, me neither. Yeah. So I mean Ishtar, real quickly, it's not one of the ones we'll talk about because it's not a B side because it's so, you know, even at the time it was a flop, but it was such a fiasco. It couldn't be a B side because, you know, the same way Heaven's Gate, right, for Chimino, that's not a B-side either, because it's so famous, uh, infamous. But um Ishtar is basically a lane made doing like a Bing a Bing Crosby Bob Hope type of travelogue comedy with Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman but in this case Dustin Hoffman basically plays kind of the the hot guy and Warren Beatty plays more of the neurotic doofus which is like we'll talk about it Warren makes Beatty sense. Li- makes sense. <laughs> Yeah Warren Beatty liked I think in some respects mm- playing against type and i think sometimes um it was to his detriment but in ishtar it's an interesting it's an interesting choice and definitely makes the movie more interesting you know just as a whole and it's basically this road trip comedy they go to the middle east they get embroiled in this political situation you know uh it's aged strangely i suppose when you think about our current political climate but the jokes are funny and if you can get behind the tone i do think the moves age pretty well and this is all elaine may in general i think is you know uh, she just won a tony right i think she is being um rediscovered as a genius and as well she should be so um starts an interesting movie. Definitely seek it out if you can get around to it. But in terms of the movies we're talking about and Beatty as a whole, uh, Jozo, let's start with you. Like, where is Beatty in your life? When, you, when, when were you first aware of Warren Beatty um, in any sort of like film capacity?
1: Uh, I don't know. Uh, m- middle school, maybe earlier. He's one of those was guys there guys like a movie? Uh, I, I the first time I remember being real interested in him, it was college. I remember reading star the biography I think, by peter biskins
0: yeah i think me and you read it like around the same time because i remember me and you like trading stories from that book together which is a such a gossipy tra- trashy book which is kind of like biskin that's kind of biskins mo but i do love i do love that
1: book. yeah it rules like yeah so <laughs> i think that was sort of like reading that book and then going through and watching the movies and I think probably when I was a kid, because I was a kid during the era of of Dick Tracy, that was probably my sure. first exposure and knowledge of, of of Warren Beatty.
0: Yeah, you know it's funny you say that. I have this. I was thinking about it uh, earlier today when you know I, I rewatched Dick Tracy, rewatched these movies ahead ahead of the podcast. My singular first memory of of Warren Beatty, even like in an image, was there was this second hand bookstore near my house where my, my parents still live it's since uh gone but it was called the bookworm and i remember in that like mossy bookstore which we would go to all the time because you could buy books for like you know 50 cents they had a lot of dick tracy like serials right like just like published whatever from you know, the 30s, 40s, you know, when, whenever the comics were out and, you know, in different forms, right, various forms. And they had a novelization of sorts of the Dick Tracy movie from 1990, and it had Warren Beatty's silhouette and his image, you know, on the front and back of the book cover. And that's that was the first time I was aware of Warren Beatty. So truly, to your point, Adam, yeah, like Dick Tracy was the first – idea of Warren Beatty that I ever had. What about you, Connor?
2: I uh, pro- probably the same. I do have a very distinct memory of being maybe like 7 or 8 and my dad watching uh Heaven Can Wait and like just watching that with him, but I right. think it 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 was maybe like a little later when I like associated like I was like, "Oh, that's Warren Beatty, like also the dude like I'd seen Dick Tracy." But I did not like associate the two, which feels stupid because it's like he's got such an unmistakable face. Um, But yeah, I I, I feel like having Kim wait was like my first technical exposure to him. But like what I really knew him from was was definitely Dick Tracy.
0: Yeah. And I'll say, you know, so. My mom, Julie Mecca, who's been on the podcast a couple of times, one of her personal favorite movies is Splendor in the Grass, uh, which was an early hit movie he was in with uh, Romance with him and Natalie Wood. I think 64 is the year that one came out. Um, so I was aware of that movie, but I didn't see it, honestly, until a couple of years ago. Um, and it is a lovely movie if you get the chance to seek that one out. It's on um, Turner Classic Movies like all is the it? time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's on, yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's on a lot. I mean, it, it's worth it. It's one of those movies, um, it feels uh more than other movies you know when you think about older movies whatever uh uh, somewhat ageless right i mean they it is it feels of a time but in also in another way something you could watch 10 years from now and it would still really play um and then so with Beatty to the heaven can wait of it all which is you know like we said probably still his biggest hit um you know pound for pound um The way that I watched Heaven Can Wait is that uh, I think me and my friends all really loved Down to Earth, the Chris Rock (laughs) movie, you know, which is funny to think about because, you know, I was, however old I was, 12, you know, something like that, when Down to Earth came out. And that was when Chris Rock was just kind of popping right before Head of State, you know, early 2000s, late 1990s. And um, I remember watching that movie and my dad basically being like, oh, yeah, that's heaven can wait and like renting heaven can wait which i you know i think that's a that's a that's a dad mecca movie i think you really like that one so yeah i mean beatty has been in my life for a long time i remember like Bullworth being kind of like a like a ooh like a little bit of a uh controversial movie like to watch when i, I remember when i was when young it came out.
2: like i remember yeah the song
0: like- was really big The song from Bullworth Ghetto Superstar It was, it was And like Halle Berry, young Halle Berry's in it And like, isn't it like Oliver Platt That movie's kind of That's an interesting movie to think about 20 years later Like a politician who says what he really feels Imagine what, you know, like very um, Which, I mean, we'll get into it Beatty, a lot of these movies Beatty's taking an angle on himself In a pretty transparent way You know, Beatty's a very kind of Out and out uh liberal you know his whole life and has been very kind of vocal about it it's an interesting time capsule of the moment those late 90s Bulworth. um but jumping into it i suppose and adam me and you i feel like this is a movie that me and you kind of have together in a way in terms of we were coming up and we'll say so you know me adam and connor we all interned briefly Uh, At Killer Films many years ago, um, which you'll know from Todd Haynes movies and Christine Vachon's a very accomplished storied indie uh, film producer for many, many years and, you know, came up with Todd Haynes. And so we all were lucky enough to intern at uh, Killer Films uh, and we were there at different times but we did overlap a little bit and that's how me and Adam became friends. Adam now works at Paramount um in the trailer department and so it's always cool to chat with Adam about what he's got and what he's working on coming up on the horizon. But I remember me and you like talking about McCabe and Altman and how insane the making of the movie was and like I don't know if we watched it together but do you remember like do you remember like me and you talking about like the way they recorded sound on that movie, where they like they like weren't getting like good sound on set because the conditions were so bad, and Altman was just like, you know, moving forward, and so much of it was eighty yard, and and they were like just, I mean, there's insane things from that movie when you watch it now. It feels so singular to me, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. You can definitely tell when you watch it too, like that movie yeah. that movie's
2: like almost unintelligible now granted like a lot of altman's movies are, are kind of like that like not in a not accidentally like i feel like he he knows yeah. a lot of his movies with this ambient noise where you can hear all the conversations going on in a room or whatever um but uh but that movie i definitely was like oh this is kind of all over the place
1: yeah it's amazing i came to this movie as a Robert Altman fan before I came to it as a Warren Beatty fan so I was definitely right. more sort of keyed into what was happening technically with the movie but you know when you read uh, Star and 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 learn what Beatty was doing as a producer with it you can you can almost see the 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 technical experimentation with with the sound and and visually as as an extrapolation of Beatty throwing his weight around as a producer and uh, you mentioned Um, him subverting his image this is an example of it this is almost like you can trace a direct line from this to the revenant where it's like Beatty's like no I'm gonna have a big beard and I'm gonna wear a big coat and I'm kind of gonna be like in a low-key kind of not as alpha mode as you might expect him to so that's part a of him subverting expectations totally part b is um, basically letting Running interference for Altman and letting him do whatever he wanted because you're right it is almost unintelligible to listen to and the way they filmed it it was very, it was like they they did a technique called flashing where they pre exposed the film to very low light to get that sort of faded washed out grainy look so um, they're doing that they're doing this sound recording technique which is intentionally vague and muddy which is something he started exploring mash and the executives at Fox were like. fully ready to fire him and Beatty was like no let him do what he wants to do and uh, I think that speaks to his you know later successes as a director and a filmmaker and uh, you know he would go on to subvert his image in other ways you know he's talking about the you know heaven can wait being his big success you know even just the subtle way of like no I'm gonna be in Great sweatpants and a sweatshirt. This entire movie, and still be hot. It's as true.
0: Well. It's so true. Yeah, he's, that's a great point. He's, he's like
1: literally yeah. in jogging pants that whole movie. Yeah, and he's still like you know the the biggest movie star in the world, and it's, it's just undeniable the way he's uh, able to uh, uh, you know. Um, to I, I think he's that, that all these are examples of him operating on a higher level of movie stardom.
0: I, oh, totally. And and just to jump on the point of of the, the supporting director's visions to some degree, right? So what's interesting about Beatty is it kind of warps, it warps in his career, right? So basically, um, if you if you go back to his early movies, right? He's in a movie called Mickey One, uh, that came out in 65, I believe. Directed by Arthur Penn, who only, you know, two years later he'll make Bonnie and Clyde with, which is, you know, the movie, right? I mean, you know, that's one of these, you know, it's always important to remember Bonnie and Clyde, you know, people say it a lot. It's the beginning of that period of, you know, new American cinema, right? Like what became that oft uh loved and referenced 70s, you know, uh American movie really started in a lot of ways with Bonnie with Bonnie and Clyde. People point to Easy Rider of course as well, but um that was Arthur Penn. Now Mickey One only a couple years earlier was a flop that, if you watch it, it's on Amazon Prime, is this strange French New Wave-influenced movie where the editing is 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 jumpy, on purpose, and it's literally uh, a Stan Getz jazz score supporting it. Um, it's cut in such a way and shot in such a way with canted angles and whatnot that you're not ever really meant to know. You're never... Fully meant to be on the movie's level. It's basically about a stand-up comedian who gets in, uh, gets on the bad side of the of of like gangsters, basically in Detroit, and then has to go on the run and change. and Has to change his name, and his name becomes Mickey One, and then it just becomes this, basically like, like a lot of these French New Wave movies, but maybe to, not as defined of a level when you think about maybe breathless and these other kind of masterpieces to some degree. though if you read about him and Arthur Penn gotten arguments on set because Beatty was always one want, wanting to be involved and know what movie was actually being made and his complaint, if you read about it, even on like the Wikipedia page, uh, you know quotes from Beatty saying he felt that Penn didn't really know what he was doing on the set and that was his big problem right and so it's interesting to think about two years later he he trusts Arthur Penn enough and like you're saying Adam similar to Altman fights for him in getting Bonnie and Clyde made in keeping the violence in and making the movie that got made same with McCabe right same with a couple other movies you can point to but then what's funny is by the time he gets to the 90s and the early aughts he's doing the opposite he's taking movies from directors he doesn't have confidence in right so there's a movie called love affair from 1994 that's a remake of the leo mccary love affair from 39 and the leo McCarey love affair with cary grant from 56 called an affair to remember and glenn gordon karen was the credited director but i think this is in star two correct me if i'm wrong adam but i think it is he he on set straight up lost faith in you know in glenn gordon karen and was like shadow directing the movie as much as he could he does the same sort of thing on town and country in know which came out in o- 01 uh w- with peter Chelsea. so it's kind of interesting to how he was such a supportive force for some directors early on in his career then became a great director in his own right and then <laughs> was just try to take it take control um, you know, later on when he didn't have the director's credit himself. So but with McCabe, yeah, like even to the score, right? The famous score that's with McCabe, they had to fight for that as well. So that's a movie where really almost kind of like a Casablanca, right? Where you read about they were like re they were like you know, writing the scenes for the next day the night before. It's one of those movies where it seemed like everything was going wrong to some degree and they were getting a lot of pressure, but it ended up becoming this masterpiece almost despite itself or be- maybe because of the pressure. And so it's one of those movies. I mean, Connor, w- w- I guess what's your thought on it? Had you, had you seen it for the first time for this podcast? I hadn't.
2: So is the first time I've like watched it like actively. Cause the, I think the last time I watched it was like film school. Um, And, uh, so this is the first time, like, I really, like, just kind of really sunk my teeth into it as a viewer and it definitely, and kind of to your point, Adam, like the, the subversion of his image that he, that he does here, both in his appearance, but also like him spending, I just loved how he just, he spends the whole movie just getting like emasculated, like over and over and over again. And the scene... Where he 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 basically sits down uh, with a guy who's there to kill him essentially, and uh, and they spend you know they end their conversation being like oh I heard you you wound up killing uh, Bill Roundtree, and he's like well Bill Roundtree's brother was a friend of mine and he like said and you know Warren Beatty immediately is like oh okay and then he like gets up and he leaves and he's like he's like hey just so you know I'm unarmed and he leaves. And then as soon as he leaves, the guy goes, wait, so who's Bill Roundtree again? And then everybody tells him. And it's just literally like the whole movie, just people just like getting the jump on him. And uh, it's what it's what makes it great. I think especially if you're used to a certain image of Warren Beatty in your head. Um, And it's funny because it seems and based on, uh, you know, stories you hear about him, it seems like he certainly thought of himself in the way that we think about him, but then he, you know, but then he puts himself on screen in a way that totally undercuts that. Which I think I don't know if that's like comm- if I want to well, say that's commendable or if it's no, like, you know, know like
0: it, it reminds me, it it kind of reminds me of the George Clooney thing, right? Where like, and we've talked about this before, you know, George Clooney, you, you know, you look at him and you watch him you know, even in public, and you go like, oh, that could be, he could be like a Cary Grant, right? Like, he's yeah. got that thing, whatever it is. But he spent 85% of his career subverting that exact image basically all the time, right? You know, whether it's even something like, think about, you know, the, the what is it? Is it called the Idiot Trilogy, right? The Coen Brothers, yeah, the three yeah. Coen Brothers mm-hmm. movies he made. I mean, you know, Oh Brother is a very broad version of that, of course, um, in terms of the Clooney character himself, but even in like *Intolerable Cruelty*, where he is a smooth operator, right? He's this like smooth divorce lawyer. It's he even in that movie where he literally probably has never looked and will never look more like a Cary Grant. Like in that movie, every line he's subverting it, right, and being a doofus and know, all of this, and so. I think Beatty has a lot of that where he has the look, he has the charm, he is a playboy in real life, right, famously. And this is, you know, that's me and Adam are talking about, you know, the Peter Biskin book star. You know, 70% of that book is about his exploits and whatnot, you know, as much as it's about his films. Um, And so, you know, well-documented to some degree. Um, You know, famously the song with the Carly Simon song, uh what is it you're so vain vain, yeah you know she i think even now has credited uh, at least a verse to being about war so So, a couple years
2: ago she she revealed that the second verse of the song is
0: is about there you go yeah yeah so but for many years before that it was rumored that it was about him and whatnot so yes to connor's point he has that opinion of himself but um He's always trying to subvert it. And so basically, you know, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, just to set it up, it's basically a a neo-Western, really. I mean, this is kind of, it gets a lot of credit for, you know, not only Beatty subverting his own character, but the genre itself looking inward where this is a movie where uh, it's in Washington State, it's in the early 1900s. This guy, McCabe, arrives. He's kind of like a mysterious He's like a figure we don't really know about. He comes into town. He basically takes over the town. It's a mining town. And then he finds his equal and his rival and his kind of, you know, complicated partner in uh, in uh, Mrs. Miller who is running the brothel in town. And then it becomes, you know, the actions have reactions like Connor mentioned. You know, people come to kill McCabe because of things, changes he's made, and you know dominance he's enacted on the town and whatnot. But really, into there, I get it's one, like we're saying there's a lot of plot in the movie, I guess. But Altman and Beatty and all those who made it don't overly see that seem that interested in the no, plot, right? It's all. really it's it really like more a about. Movie. Yeah, I mean, I always think of you know if you like Deadwood, right, and and it's not about necessarily you know because Deadwood has a lot of you know narratives and it's a TV show in that way and whatnot but if you like the the feel of that show right McCabe is kind of it would be hard to to say some of that doesn't come from McCabe right in terms of just like the dirt and the feel and the you know just back then things were this way it was colder and whatnot and uh we should we have to say that uh Mrs Miller's played by uh Julie Christie Julie Christie yeah and she's amazing is, one of our greats and uh is also in you know a couple other movies shampoo being uh you know another one she was in with Beatty and um, yeah Julie Christie is I don't know that we've even mentioned her I mean I'm trying to I guess we haven't on this podcast she is she is truly one of the greats um and she's amazing in this movie so yeah I mean that that that's kind of what McCabe is it was I think it ultimately did okay for Altman and Beatty, um, though I think the process of making it was frustrating for, you know, obviously for Warner Brothers. Um, and uh, yeah, Leonard Cohen, just getting it down, that he provided the score. Wilmo Zygmunt, the great, he uh, shot it. And, you know, that movie, uh, you know, like like Adam was saying, is shot in such a specific... It's, and it's weird. I don't even know if there's a, another movie even to this day that looks anything like it truly Uh,
2: doesn't doesn't this movie kind of like and you know they're they they're sort of parallels in, in more ways than one but this movie kind of reminded me uh of jeremiah johnson a little bit yeah right like it's got that same kind of vibe and um i feel like the two of them redford and Beatty, also just kind of like they follow the same they're they're not like exact parallel careers, but there's a very well, like you know similar trajectory.
1: He also, I mean, talking about firing directors, he got um, Philip Kaufman fired off of Jeremiah Johnson and had him replaced on that movie. So that there is a similarity well, there. Uh, you know, Redford did. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think uh, you know. Yeah, it's a singular looking movie it's very striking uh Sigmund would later say you would go on to refine some of the techniques he started here in uh heaven's gate another mecha drosen favorite i think it's <laughs> that movie is stunning also i think this is a more I, I i almost like this more just from a strictly photographic and experimental way just how grungy and how they pushed it they pushed it really far that technique whereas uh Heaven's Gate's a little more polished and sort of, you know, down the middle in more regards, more lush. But uh, it's a striking movie. It looks really cool. It sounds really cool. It's very casually cool in a way that Warren Beatty sort of is in general. It's like it feels effortlessly cool. It doesn't need to, like, be, like, showy. It just sort of is like right. a very cool, ca- in a casual way.
2: Yeah, and the co- uh, the Cohen. Like songs in it, too. Just that, that, like the cold open with, with Beatty kind of coming into that town. Balls, yeah. too. It's amazing, and it, it's like you're immediately in the atmosphere.
1: It's true that all the men you knew were dealers who said they were through with dealing every time you gave them shelter. I know that kind of man. It's hard to hold the hand of anyone who's reaching for the sky
2: just to surrender. Like you're immediately like, Oh, I I know exactly what this movie is. Um and it sustains too. Like it just sustains through the entire thing. Like yeah, you know, as you said before, even though it's kind of like there's a lot of plot, but it's also plotless, and, and again, you can like, but you still can kind of just ride with the movie because it just like it wraps you up.
0: Yeah, and and to your point, you know, just to wrap it on Beatty in this, like he does such a good job, um, to your point, Connor, earlier, literally being beaten down, like visually and you know narratively in the movie, in, in such a great way. But it, it is comical and yeah. and it'll speak speak to a lot of Beatty's career, but also <laughs> very sad. It's incredibly in, sad in, yeah. in like a very dour type of a way. So, yeah, um, yeah it's very singular, and I agree with you, Adam. Uh, it in Terms of when you think about Zygmunt and Heaven's Gate, this the look of this is uh, uh, a bit more memorable, though you know I do love my Heaven's Gate. Um, to, we'll talk for
1: 12 it, hours about that movie. Yeah. I know that that could be <laughs> we'll its have a own whole podcast on Hev- uh,
2: special on, on Heaven's Gate, it'd have to
0: be it'd have to be the whole spinoff podcast. Um, <laughs> now let's talk about a real B side. Now, I don't know, I, I hope we all got a chance to watch this. The Fortune. <laughs> um mike nichols coming off of the day of the dolphin uh which is an insane movie if you haven't seen it i'm not even gonna say what it's about just do yourself a favor and look it up right now buck henry wrote that script uh you know what i'm gonna tell you it's about a plot (laughs) uh a plot where these bad people are training a dolphin uh, to learn how to assassinate the president. That is what that movie's about. Anyway, so Mike Nichols was coming off that movie. He was coming off Catch-22, um, and he needed a hit. And uh, Warren Beatty wanted to make this movie called Shampoo, which we've mentioned, but it was a bit of a tough sale because it was about this hairdresser in L.A., and um, the studios were kind of hemming and hawing about it. So they, there was this there was this script uh, called the Fortune, and it was written by Carol Eastman, who wrote Five Easy Pieces, and so they came together to make what is basically a a farce. Is the idea of it with where it's you have Beatty, you have Nicholson, and you have uh, Stalker Channing in one of her first roles. It was going to be Bette Midler, but Nichols fired her apparently because Bette Midler, when asked. Um, to be in the movie, asked Mike Nichols what he if he had done anything she would have seen, and apparently he was offended by that, and it resulted in her firing. That's you know this is Wikipedia facts, you know, fact or fiction or whatever. But regardless, it became Stalker Channing, and basically the premise of the whole movie is way back when uh, there was this thing called the Man Act. It was an act um, in the early 1900s, and it made. The Any woman or girl for the purpose of prostitution or debauchery transferring across state lines, it was uh, like in, you know, in that era of prohibition and whatnot, it was like a heavily enforced or, you know, it enforced law. Right. So basically the premise of this movie wrapped around that law is that um, uh, Warren Beatty is married but wants to be with Stocker Channing who is the daughter of these people with a lot of money and he he brings in a criminal who is Jack Nicholson to marry Stocker Channing for the purposes of get being able to travel with her out of the state but of course things don't go as planned Jack Nicholson has his own Uh, you know plans and his own want to get in on the fortune which this young woman apparently has access to through her parents and all this plotting you know it becomes you know basically like a three stooges esque type of a thing right things go awry and whatnot now unfortunately and i don't know how you guys felt about this it's not funny so that which is curious
2: because it's uh when i was reading about it 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 po- occurred to me or it popped up that uh that the coen brothers list it as like one of their favorite movies see
0: th- this is what i want to talk about because you know i went back and i read the um vincent canby new york times review uh that came out when the movie came out in 1975 and he loved it he loved it and he and he said it reminded him of the 30s like farces that he grew up with and he thought he thought it was spot on. And so I found it interesting because, you know, I'd, I'd seen this movie before and I was re-watching it uh, for this. And I went into it kind of being like, you know, maybe I missed something. And I got to say, I just, it's one of those things. I found Nicholson's whole shtick really grating. Um, I found Beatty very unlikable, which I, you know, I guess is part of the point. I mean, this is, you know, it is one of those things where like, If you think about those Marx Brothers movies, if you think about those Three Stooges, you know bits. If you go back and you watch them, you know their greed and and ego and stuff like that obviously always play a role in the comedy. But it just they spend the whole movie fighting. You know what I mean? And like Stockard Channing is like screaming, and and I honestly thought she was the highlight of the movie for me, um, in terms of just her performance but i don't what what do you what do you guys think of it had you seen it before
2: no 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 i hadn't seen it before um it's just it's it's tough because like you you'd think to yourself too because like you know Beatty and nicholson uh obviously were pals and um and you'd think that that would lend itself to something like gold like this right Um, but it doesn't translate, I think the way that you want it to, like, especially when you consider like, um, the way they, they play against each other in, in something like reds. Right. Which is like, I think, right. I think, and you know, I think Beatty uses Nicholson to like perfection there. Like, I think that's, that's one of my favorite Jack Nicholson performances, uh, in reds, but, um, yeah, I don't know. There's, it's the, it's like a shrill movie. (laughs)
0: yeah i mean it's it's a short movie you know it's basically 90 minutes um i think even a little less and it's it's it, you know, it's a type of thing where you know it starts it starts as one thing and then it tries to become this kind of darker other thing while still being you know naturally getting there and i see it all right now 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 look just in terms of the script itself right um uh, So it was this like four hour, you know what I mean, hundreds of pages long script, I think, when they first started prepping it. And as they kept making it um, and filming it and getting ready to film it, Nichols kept cutting stuff out of the script. Right. So kind of making it um, more nimble, wanting it to be more funny as opposed to epic. Right. Because I think that was initially the intention of what was uh, was being written by Eastman, who's credited uh, her pen name Adrian Joyce, uh, if you watch the movie, and ultimately she was fired off of the uh, movie. And you know what you have is this kind of slapstick thing that gets very dark. And like I said, yeah, I guess your mileage may vary, right? I think that's interesting. The Coen Brothers love it. I, I guess I understand it to a degree. There's a lot of a There's a lot of beautiful production design in this movie um, in terms of just, you know, the 30s details. And so I think that's certainly one thing that's worth just checking it out for. But, yeah, other than that, I mean, there's one bit that I loved where they're on a plane and it's like this terrible bumpy ride. And (laughs) Jack Nicholson goes to go to the bathroom and then... Um, Stalker Channing is just like sitting in her chair. She turns out to look out the window, and Nicholson's hanging outside of the plane on the window, and she screams. That's funny. There just isn't enough. There aren't for me enough moments like that that make you laugh out loud in, in the whole movie.
2: It's almost like it doesn't go. I mean, to your point, it's kind of like it doesn't. It, and it's funny that you say that about like the, the its origins as a. A bigger, longer thing, um, because it doesn't go tight and broad enough. I think, like, like that.
0: I guess not. Yeah, it's weird though, because it, it just it does feel like one of those movies where I, I would be curious. Now, look, one thing that's interesting, um, just in reading about this, this was a weird time uh, for Jack Nicholson's life. Uh, Mama Cass died right around this time, who was a good friend of Nicholson. This was also around the same time a reporter in an interview, revealed to Nicholson that the woman he thought was his sister was really his mom, and the woman he thought was his mom was really his grandmother, right? And he didn't know that. So this was a hard time, and for a while in interviews, and I suppose to this day, uh, you know, Nicholson doesn't really do interviews, he refuses to talk about the movie. So obviously there was a lot going on for him in that moment. So one could point to that, I suppose. But it's even like, there's clear indicators like... Even and this is mentioned in Canby's uh, uh, review, which I thought was interesting. Nicholson's like done up to look like a Stooge character, like his hair is literally done up to look like, I guess, what curly? You know, like 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 a three Stooges character. So it just doesn't really work. I wish I liked Beatty more in it. He just comes across mean more than anything else. Um, Adam, did you did you get a chance to see this? Nope. (laughs) Well. Well, well okay. you did yourself a favor, in my opinion. <laughs> did you, Connor? Did you, did you like it, or what do you think? Like when it comes down to it,
2: it's. Uh, I guess my I would say I'm I'm kind of with you. Like you can skip it, but it's definitely. Like it's it's definitely like, interesting if you're trying to fill in these gaps right like if like because again when i like when when we talked about doing it um i was super curious just because you know jack nicholson warren Beatty, like doing a comedy i was like okay like yeah like let's see what that's like and it's just funny because it it does you know in my head going into it, I was like, that seems like that'll be kind of weird and might not work. And then what I like, I just felt very like, yeah, okay. Like, this is what I thought it was. Yeah. Um, But I don't know. I like my instinct says skip it, but it is, I think kind of a fascinating little thing. And again, like you said, it's not, it's not long. So like, if you take the time to watch it, even even if it's not worth your time, it's, you know, it's only like 90 minutes. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, I think it's, it's something that I don't know how well Beatty is made for something like that. Like it is the broader elements of it are, are things that I think he does better, uh, in something much later, like Dick Tracy, like, well,
0: and let's, well, let's get into it. Cause I was just going to say Dick Tracy, 1990 Beatty directs it. Um, I love Dick Tracy, um, rewatching it. I love it even more. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know it comes right on the heels of batman um one of the reasons the movie gets greenlit is cuz of batman comes all over batman, right? batman's heels um <laughs> and not on un- not unlike not unlike uh burton's batman the practical builds and the miniatures and the production design are yeah. like to watch it now, it makes you miss that movies were ever made that way. You know what I mean? And and, and you think about something like the Hudsucker Proxy, speaking of the Coens, you know, like yeah. these movies for, for that period of time that they came out during a modern age, but they had that old-fashioned look because, you know, CGI really wasn't in a place where that could really work. And now you think about the CGI works now, but I almost would, would still rather have these beautiful you know, mats and these designs and these, you know, these, you know, like we said, these beautiful practicals, like, you know, they create the city and the colors that they're using are just like so out of control. But in, not in a
2: way that feels. So if you were to look at the old, like Dick Tracy comics, um, all of the production design and costumes and all that, all of them adhere to like the same six or seven colors, that appear in the comics.
1: It's five colors, but
2: here's oh, it? here's, yeah, here's yeah, my okay. big thing because they <laughs> love
1: to they love to talk about this all the time. And the first of all, I fucking love this movie. I apologize if there's no cursing. No, there's you can. No, come. no. I just oh, said that Dick being, Tracy comes, comes all over the hills of Batman, movie. so it's okay. Okay, so big, <laughs> this is my baby movie. They love to talk about oh, it's five colors. Vittorio Storaro, genius cinematographer. Richard Silver, genius production designer. They'll talk about oh, it's five colors, just like the comic books. And it, it looks like the comic books isn't that. I feel like it looks amazing. I feel like it looks like what genius designers and photographers think a comic book looks like without actually having looked at a comic book. <laughs> it's insane. Like every there's no. I mean, there really is no like tonality to it. Everything's at a hundred, and it looks amazing. Like every matte painting's at a hundred every car every performance like the opening
2: tableau and even like the end shot like there are things there are shots in this movie and i literally watched i finished watching it like right before we we sat down to record um are like thing i was just like i want that on my wall like it's beautiful it just like wraps you up you know it's
1: insane like it's so lush and then you have like uh 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 Drexler and Caglione's horrific makeup, which is just like a nightmare come to life, and it's very cool and very fun, but only for the bad guys. Which is yeah, kinda, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone great. else and
0: like, like a, and just a cast that's like you can't actually believe is the cast. Yeah, I it's mean, insane. Literally, like, let me just do it. Warren Beatty is Dick Tracy. Al Pacino is Big Boy Caprice, who, uh, when the Tracy comics were you know being written, was based on Al Capone, which is funny to think about. When you think about the fact that only a couple of years earlier Robert De Niro actually played Al Capone in The Untouchables, but anyway, Madonna as Breathless Mahoney, Glenn Headley the Great, Glenn Headley ip as Tess Trueheart, Charlie Hook, Corzmo baby, <laughs> Charlie can can't hardly, hardly wait, Corzmo <laughs> as the kid who's a who's an orphan who you know basically gets taken in by uh by tracy and true and yeah actually I, I really like him in the movie <laughs> that's um, such a mecca performance like i could uh, yeah. imagine you
1: directing the scene of him like of eating course all no. that fucking food um, at the table i want <laughs> to talk,
2: talk about that scene we don't have to talk about it right now they call
0: keep... him the eating machine or whatever i love it um seymour castle mike pollard charles derning dick van dyke as yep. the corrupt da spoiler alert um kathy bates did you notice is the stenographer who can't yeah uh, who can, like, can't type what mumbles is saying that that um, gag is the best
2: when she walks out of the room after they're with mumbles and the stenographer yeah. paper is just like yeah gigantic like she just wrote so much because it was just like unintelligible
0: oh it's so and good. then the bad guys are like the real where it's really at dustin hoffman is mumbles william forsyth forsyth is flat top yeah Manny Batinkin is the piano player who's, like, he's, he's just, he has a whole number with Madonna in the middle of the movie, which is awesome. <laughs> St- Son- Stephen Sondheim wrote original yeah. songs for the movie. Paul Servino's in it for a minute. James Caan's in it for a minute. Catherine O'Hara. Like, just it's a million. And I'm not name. there are other people I'm not naming. You know what I mean? Like, just an amazing amount of people. And truly just, you know, they all are having so much fun. Pacino, you want to talk about Pacino yelling? My God, oh, yeah. like the man. Oscar does not nominated stop.
2: for this movie. Oscar nominated for this movie. I couldn't like, I I knew that, but then like rewatching it, I like couldn't believe it. Like I was like, re- okay, like okay.
0: I mean, it's a I I think as the kids say, it is a flex. That performance, yeah. that Pacino performance, <laughs> is certainly something. Um. So yeah, I mean, I don't think we need to do the plot of Dick Tracy. He's, you know, he's, he's fighting the, law. the mob. The mob's he's, fight, to, uh, he's uh, fighting. The mob. He's
1: a detective, and he fights a bunch of nightmare people. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, fun fact, right? And I've I know some. So let me just quickly say, some of these, uh, most of these facts I learned from re-watching the dick tracy special oh, so God. so really quick we have to spend an hour <laughs> oh, talking man. about this so dick trace so warren beatty makes dick tracy in 1990 uh like connor said it is a hit it costs a lot of money but it does okay it's not batman but it does okay um ever since a dick tracy sequel has been discussed talked about rumored whatnot right there
2: was one written called dick tracy goes to war In which he was supposed to go up against, like, German spies that infiltrate the mob
1: or something like that, I believe. My favorite Never Made Dick Tracy follow-up to the movie was the attraction ride at Walt Disney World called Dick Tracy's Crime Busters, where you are driving around shooting at Pruneface and the rest of the gang, and, uh... Yeah, it never wow. came to pass, but for a, a, a summer in 1990, you know, when the movie came out, you could see Dick Tracy walking around in Disney World. You could take your picture with him. <laughs> oh,
0: my gosh. But, no, so basically Beatty owns the rights. He ro- he owns the out-and-out out rights to Dick Tracy, right? So if you want to make a Dick Tracy movie, it's with Beatty or w- with the blessing of Beatty, right? So um, people come to him, and they're like, yeah, we want him back. You haven't made this movie in a couple decades, and in response to being something they wanted him back,
1: he knew it was about to lapse. Like if he didn't do anything with it, well, he would lose. Yeah, the rights. it was.
0: Yeah, basically, yeah. As I understand it, yeah, it was like the wording that he has the rights. It's a little soft, and he was getting challenged on it because they were going to lapse. And in response, um, Ford vady directed and starred in the Dick Tracy special, which is a thirty-minute. Movie, movie. I don't know. something. TV special aired on ABC it, it, one it, night.
2: It, it aired one time ever. Apparently, yeah. well,
0: no, 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 no. Apparently, it will air every once in a while on TCM because it's basically a thirty-minute uh, <laughs> segment where Leonard Maltin interviews Dick Tracy, Warren Beatty playing Dick Tracy, and it's Dick Tracy. Like they go out of their way. Like it's not Beatty. It's like
1: they're like making jokes
2: about.
0: Fruit. They're like. It's yeah, so, they're like. I don't I even think it. like
1: they acknowledge her like it's the man. Like he, they don't even say who it is. Like yeah. they were like play footsie with. Well, it. well, so the
0: begin. Well, the beginning is like everybody's like all clamped at the studio that like Dick right. Tracy's coming. Oh, can you believe? Can you believe? It's, you believe? it's like, gross. Like, oh my too. God.
2: it's gross. There's <laughs> literally like a cut to like a coordinator, whoever's like, bringing pushing dip- up her. Yeah, like bra, pushing up her like, boobs to like make like make herself Win- presentable.
0: Win- Wendy McLevin... Covey, is yes. that, I think that's her name. She's one of the one yeah. of like the production people. people. Anyway, yeah. and uh. so it's basically like an infomercial document documentary about the Dick Tracy serials with interstitials of Beatty as Tracy being interviewed by Leonard malton and they like in the interview take digs at Beatty. Right. The yeah. joke is like that Dick Tracy way preferred the other people who've played Beatty. It's I mean, it's on YouTube. You can find it and watch it. It's strange. But yeah, anyway, it's insane. It's um, uh,
1: photographed by Academy Award winner Emmanuel Lubezki.
0: Yep, <laughs> No way. Get the fuck yep. out. Yep, Chivo, Chivo oh, himself.
1: Man. And uh Chivo himself, baby. And Shut ba- that. Beatty looks so bored. He literally <laughs> looks like he's about five minutes away from getting into his car. Like yeah. he, he looks just like can't wait to get the sober. But word. what
2: I love is like he's also the one who's putting himself there.
1: Yeah.
0: Like looks- that's
1: the thing, that's the best part about
0: that. So you gotta do this. Yeah, to get the <laughs> Um I guess in terms of the movie, right? Standouts, um, I love Madonna in it. And I love Glenn Headley in it, um, and basically all the villains. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think the you know to I your guess point, the
2: makeup I, artists are the standouts.
0: Right. right. Well, that's one yeah. thing. Oscar I mean, for it. Yeah. I mean, this is the type of thing where, like, you know, it's one of those. It's one of those movies, almost in in a totally different way, almost not unlike McCabe and Mrs. Miller, right? Where it's like. It's so singular, and it's even funny now. And Adam, maybe I don't know how you feel about this. Like you, you'll read, you'll be like, "Oh, Dick Tracy was so ahead of its time," and then, but then you watch it. I watch it now, and I'm like, I think it's still ahead of its time. Yeah. Like I don't know that movie. I don't know that the you know, the superhero movies we have now. I don't think are taking stuff from Dick Tracy. I mean, maybe they're taking some elements, but I think yeah, there's I- still this other world of superhero movie that we haven't either gotten to. Like, I would think of something like Sky Captain the World yeah, Tomorrow. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. something yeah. like, where, where it's like, uh, you're taking, like you're saying, Adam, before, like, an idea of what comics are and then how you can translate them, not literally, but, you know, taking one medium and trying to adapt it with the same originality in another medium, right? I don't think you get that with a lot of the superhero movies we have today. And that's not really a dig as much as it's just a difference, right? I mean, I think you have these serialized stories, right? They're they're telling the stories. Dick Tracy is a look more than anything. And sure. I and I just think, um you know with the Burton Batman movies and Dick Tracy and then yeah you know it, Sky Captain's kind of a weaker example I suppose you know in terms of and it's a totally different technology but you can see the idea behind something like that um and you
2: can imagine too that like uh you know Robert Rodriguez probably felt he was doing something like Dick Tracy when he with was Alita making, well I was thinking Sin City when he was making Sin City but to your point though that Almost is cheating if we're talking about this kind of game because, like, he he translated that movie frame for frame. You know what I mean? Like, it's not it, it's not the yeah. same thing. The
1: closest yeah. analog would be Speed Racer. Ooh, yeah, that's uh, a great, oh point. great, great and example. I, and in a way, I think the the cult of Speed Racer has come around faster than the cult of Dick Tracy has, but it's a similar. Yeah, they're after similar great... goals and they achieve similar things they're also they're
2: they're also just i think i think one of the ways that uh at least you know i mean speed racer does this too but but to, to speak on dick tracy that it captures the medium that it's you know trying to emulate like so well is like when it really commits to the certain gags that it tries to pull like there's the whole basically seesaw gag where he jumps down into the room and he can't get back up and so he has the other cop jump down so that he can like seesaw him back up, you know, and catapult him. And like when that happened, I was like, oh, this is great. Like, right. What is this? It's insane. And just like I, I almost feel like the McCabe thing is like the is like the proto uh dick tracy because it's like i'm gonna wear an obnoxious coat and a crazy hat and there's nothing you can do about it and i know that that's like i know that that's obviously that that's what dick tracy looks like in the comics but like even burton was like okay he can't look like adam west i've got to put batman in like black rubber or something that like looks cooler and Beatty's like no man yellow coat yellow coat
0: yeah Huge yellow coat, like the biggest um, of coats. Well, look, another example of how with Beatty the rules don't apply. Uh,
2: are we here now?
0: And I think we they have to did. talk about those rules now. In between, I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, I mentioned it briefly, Love Affair, which is a movie that cost 60 million dollars and it made 18. It's him, Beatty, and his at the time, his new wife, I believe, Annette Benning. Uh, like we said, it's a remake, uh, pretty fairly misguided remake, uh, overly sincere remake of An Affair to Remember and Love Affair, uh, two Leo McCarry movies. There are nice things in it. They have great chemistry, of course, but as a whole, the movie is really, I don't know. It's a strange uh, curio of a movie. Catherine Hepburn's last uh, uh, feature film performance, um, she's, it has a... Uh, a quite lovely 10-minute scene, I suppose, um, but the movie as a whole is very strange. He plays an ex-football player. Gary Shanling plays his agent or manager. It's kind of, I think, the first time Shanling was on screen with uh, with Beatty. And then uh, they would be together next in Town and Country, which is an insane, horrible movie directed by Peter Chelsum that's... Kind of another farce uh, of sorts um, in which the two leading men, Gary Shandling and Warren Beatty, are rich guys who are cheating on their wives. And that's the whole joke. And it's they can't stop cheating on their wives. And the wives are Diane Keaton and Goldie Hawn. And Josh Hartnett is Warren Beatty and Diane Keaton's son. You know, and Hartnett, as we know, is my boy. Love Hartnett. And he's, he's in a couple of scenes. But the movie, it just doesn't work. Natasha Kinsky is one of the women um, who is in an affair. She's a cellist. Um, there's a lot of gay panic jokes in it. There's a lot of semi-racist uh, Central America jokes in it in terms of like the help that these rich people have.
2: A lot of that in 2001.
0: Um, it just, they shot the movie primarily in 98, 99, and then they kept reshooting it, and the budget ballooned to, it's reported as 90 million, but you'll read that it went as high as 105, and ended up making 10. It's one of the biggest uh flops in the history of uh, Hollywood. And truly, and we were talking about this before the podcast, other than Dick Tracy, after Ishtar, uh Warren Beatty never makes a hit again. And rules don't apply, which came out in 2016, is his long gestating Howard Hughes project, which he finally gets made for a pretty lean budget of 25 million for Warren Beatty, and it comes out and makes nothing. So you know, now look, me. This is a big Adam Dan and Mecca movie. Uh, I I like this movie a lot. Rules don't apply. I think it's underrated. I think time will will see it as an interesting movie i do think the content in our current moment is a little hard to swallow (laughs) to say the least oh now let's go to connor because you had you didn't see this when it came out you're new i'm new to to it literally
2: as of today so so
0: so me and Drozen are kind of in the bag for baits so what what are what did you think about rules don't apply? Um, and also tell us what rules don't apply is about. So rules no do is a- seen it. Yeah, rules
2: don't apply. It takes place in 1958 and 1964. It's basically a, a, you know like a romance about two young people who are one is a is Lily Collins. She's an actress You know, comes to uh, from Virginia to uh, to be one of Howard Hughes's like contract players, basically. Um, and uh, Alden Ehrenreich is one of his drivers, and there are all these rules with the drivers and the people. And they, the movie likes to tell you a lot just about the rules and the rules and whether or not they apply. They mostly do apply, but you know sometimes they don't apply. <laughs> and uh, she and he sings a song
1: called "Rules Don't Apply." No, it is
2: yeah. Just in case you were wondering where where this movie's at.
1: Every time that just to interject real quick every time that she sings the song called rules don't apply it says that like 50 times yes. anytime that happened or the word rules or apply or rules don't apply was said we were basically high-fiving in the yeah. theater
2: yeah it's that kind of movie um it i'm basically like 50% on the movie to be honest like cuz there are things in it that i'm like i like this and this is like and it works or it, or even if it's not working i know what it's like trying to do and i can appreciate it and adam you and i were talking about this briefly before we started recording but like this movie feels like uh, one of those things that, like, he just had the idea and loved the idea and wanted to make it for so long that he never, like, thought about the idea or, like, how that idea was going to translate. And so instead, like, you just get this thing that just is this thing. Like, it's just kind of like a very straightforward thing. The craziest thing about it, and I looked it up while I was watching it. Uh, so, Howard Hughes at, in 1958. Would have been uh, roughly fifty-three years old. Okay, Warren Beatty making this movie,
1: sixty something,
2: sixty something in no, 70. He was born in. He was born Wait, in. No, no, no,
0: no. Beatty, Beatty. Beatty, You're saying how old is Beatty? Warren Beatty's in the seventies, right? Has to be.
2: Yeah, but that's my point. So he's like twenty years old. Yeah, than he literally he makes himself twenty years younger. Not so. You throw that on top of yeah, the but whole Beatty, like Beatty relationship with Lily Collins thing, and it's like. Gross! Yeah. It's so. Well, but gross. look, but
0: look, but look, Howard Hughes, you know, hashtag problematic. Like for real. Like like he, yeah. he, he was this guy, and you know they touch on this briefly the in uh, Martin Scorsese's movie The Aviator, which is actually one of my. All time favorite movies. It's Leo's uh, best performance to this and, day. Yeah, I would agree. I think yeah. it's Leo's best performance. And and speaking of another one of those movies where the color scheme, the production design, and the actual look is so specific to that movie, um, it's it's unbelievably memorable. Just as a creation of you know, like people making something that you'll never see before or since. I mean, there are colors and palettes in that movie that are, you know, uh, hard to, I imagine incredibly hard to do duplicate. Um, but anyway, look, the guy was a creep. I mean, he was a (laughs) creep. The guy, the guy, you know, Howard Hughes in his moment, one of the most powerful richest men in America, uh, made movies, owned a movie studio would hire and audition young women who were not 18 to be on his payroll and do any manner of not you know very gross not quite legal things with them right i mean that's documented to some degree right so he had that you know that was that was part of it so rules don't apply is 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 a a more straightforward look at that part of it in which an older howard hughes romances a barely legal what she's? Uh, what is she? Is she an actress, singer? Who she's a wants she, to well, become a movie star. Or? She's an
2: she's an actor. He brings her out there. She's trying to be an actress, but she's a songwriter, and she writes the song "Rules Don't Apply." Classic that, that he that she sings to all Narenreich right before he prematurely ejaculates, which is a the most <laughs> worn Beatty thing. Like that's like that's like the other thing that's like insane to me that it it's a thing that like keeps coming up. And Dan and I, you and I, talked about this.
0: Like, well, with the fortune, to, yeah, yeah, Bonnie like, and
2: Clyde. Yeah, like, Warren Beatty, and I know he didn't direct Bonnie and Clyde, right? But, like, movies that he's in or movies he's directed, it just swirls around, like, the worst thing that could ever happen to a man is to, like,
1: not be able to
2: fuck. Like, do you know well, what I mean? Like, that's, like...
1: and, and, and that's it, why I and... made Shampoo, where he's, like, just seeing... I know you all know, but I'm going to put it on film now
0: can <laughs> yeah. really fuck like right no like it's, it's true and, it's and even and and look and not to keep bringing up the biskin book but you know a, a good portion of star talks about the complicated relationship that nicholson and Beatty had because nicholson and you know call call this gossip but the guy as it's told had a problem with you know keeping it together for long periods of time <laughs> when he was with a woman and Beatty allegedly did not have that problem. And they were, they were very good friends at a time in their lives when they were both romancing women, many different women, what have you. Um, I think it's some sometimes forgotten that the terrible Roman Planski incident happened in Jack Nicholson's house. Right. I mean, like, There was a lot of weird shit that went on. So when you watch those movies, Shampoo being one of them, The Fortune being obviously a lesser scene, one of them, Bonnie and Clyde, of course. Yeah, it's in a lot of his movies, and that's I guess also part of the thing with Rules Don't Apply, which is maybe why I really do like that movie. Is it I? I just I like Beatty making a movie that's Beatty, right? Like he's make he's touching on those themes after like town and country and sure, love affair sure. and you know where it's like he was kind of not not phoning it in because when you think when you read about the way those movies were made and you know their own mini fiascos he was definitely trying things but but rules don't af- rules don't apply in a lot of ways feels for as unfocused as the narrative can be because you basically have these two almost separate movies being told at the same time it does feel creatively focused in a way that I don't think he had been for two decades. Yeah. Maybe with, you know, Bulworth being, yeah. I mean that even Bulworth is two decades almost, right. Cause it's late 90s. Yeah. So I, I'll defend it for that alone. But I mean, yeah. In terms of, you know, not being the movie itself, not being overly critical of this very problematic relationship that Howard Hughes has with this young woman. And also how they just ultimately resolve it and whatnot. It it doesn't... Uh, it's not a great look for now. Um, though I do think, you know, formally it looks beautiful. I do like the song. I like Rules yeah, Don't it's Apply. Pretty. She's I, got I, a good I, voice. Nice, yeah. It's a nice little jingle. Uh, yeah. I'm rooting for Lily Collins. Uh, Han Solo, our boy Alden, you know. Um, I think he's I think fine. He's, I think he's good. One of my favorite parts of the movie is when he walks down that dock... And he and he like gets to the end of the dock. There's that long shot, and and it's him. It's Beatty and Aaron Reich, and they just like eat sandwiches. Oh, they they're they're looking at the
2: at the Hercules. Yeah,
0: and they're and they're like
2: yeah yeah, and it's all it's the it's him just like getting to know him and yeah. My thing is that's a highlight. I don't know if I think Beatty's very good in this movie.
1: Right. Um, Until Beatty wanted to play him 20 years ago, Yeah. like if he was, if he was, he would have been a more active role. Yeah,
2: yeah, I agree. And it's just he, it's just he, he feels like he's 80 or, or 70 or whatever it might be, and it yeah. just he, it, he feels a
1: little tired, almost even in spite of himself. I feel that way about the cinematography too. It's it does look good, but like it's Caleb Deschanel, and it just looks good it's like <laughs> it's like you have like a a, a a cadillac or what's a sicker car a maserati and you're like you're going 50 you know that's how it <laughs> feels that's how this movie feels to me
0: yeah that's a good point because caleb dischanel is, is one of our great cinematographers and it, it does it feels like he he's not being challenged m- maybe right he's,
1: he's not operating in a high gear yeah
0: yeah i mean I, I, it's hard for me to disagree with that, for sure. I mean, and just to say it, so Beatty was born in 37, so this movie came out in 2016, so he would have been about 78 when they were making it, you know? Yeah. 77, 78. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, uh, like a lot of his movies, a lot of really good people... In you know very supporting roles, Alec Baldwin, Matthew Broderick, and Al- Benning, Oliver Platt for a second Oliver Platt, has that great you know, actually that great where bit where they with, keep with, him waiting. For the yeah, whole thing. he
2: has that great bit where he just keeps him waiting, and then Oliver Platt just like in one take just like destroys the phone. It's it, that's great. That had me cackling.
0: But I mean, I guess what do we think? Is this his last movie, Adam? It has to be, right? You think? I mean, probably. Yeah,
2: I hate to say it too, but I
1: I kind of
0: hope. So, are the are the rules of time going to apply to Warren Beatty? I guess they will.
1: If anyone could beat it, it's Beatty. But uh, <laughs> I remember, like, even when this movie, like, this movie was like done for a while, and it took a while to come out and like be distributed, and it was just like it almost felt like this. It might not come out for a yeah. little bit. It was, uh, yeah.
0: I mean, yeah. And I think, and I, me and Connor were talking about this earlier. I think, um. Yeah, I'm reading this variety story right now. There were these there's um you know, so the movie lost a lot of money. And I think as I don't know if this has been resolved since, but this article from 2018 um, which maybe I'll throw into the uh to the uh, you know, the Film Stage post. Um Tim and 20th Century Fox um are in a we're in a bit of a battle over um the money owed, right? So yeah, litigation over the film's commercial failure. Arnon and Milchen sued the investors to recoup more than $15 million of marketing costs. And the investors sued back alleging that uh Milchin abdicated his responsibility to market the film. So you have these things, right, where um, you know, Beatty, there's emails of Beatty lamenting the film's disastrous performance. Stacy Snyder um, promised or urged for uh, an approach to the home video release to make up for the money lost, and like it's just kind of sad, right? Adam, to your point, like like we said, he really hasn't had a hit. Trace Dick Tracy really being—I mean, I guess Bulworth did okay, um, you know, in the for the moment, Um, but I think you know he really peaked with you know shampoo to reds is like you know such like we said such a flex such i mean he was the biggest star in the world at and that it's moment. i mean
2: it's it's saying something that like you know he then goes you know he, he he gets to make reds which for my money is like is one of the greatest movies ever made like it's a it's a masterpiece
0: um yeah i, I love think. reds yeah yeah all right, so instead of saying what we want next from Beatty, because obviously we all want a Dick Tracy sequel, but who knows if that'll happen? Or at the Dick Tracy at goes the to the very woman. least another Dick Tracy special so he can keep the rights. I would <laughs> settle for that. Um but let's talk about, let's say this. Is there uh put put aside the four movies you talked about? Um, which once again, just so we say it, McCabe, Mrs. Miller, The Fortune, Dick Tracy, and Rules Don't Apply. Is there another Beatty movie? uh you would recommend right maybe not you know maybe not heaven can wait maybe not reds but something that no there aren't that many right so we've we have mentioned a lot of them but is there any that you you're looking forward to watching any that you've watched that you recommend Uh, i have a couple
1: uh, i'll pop in real quick uh parallax view yes thank you
0: yeah parallax view great movie um you know right in that paranoid moment, uh, Red around Watergate, uh, that, that's a top Beatty performance for my money, I would say. Um, and definitely, yeah, no, and
2: it's, I mean, it's a you know, it's, I think it's one of the obviously the great like paranoid thriller masterpieces for yeah. sure.
1: You just felt like really keyed in as a movie just, like, star present yeah. and like just the right per, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That feels like a real classic. He's not subverting anything, that's a real straight down the middle movie star performance for him, and it lets. Uh, pakula do some really interesting things with gordon willis and just sort of put this sort of uh, uh you know twisted world around him that sort of starts to unravel great movie there's there's a
2: a movie that um that i caught a couple months ago on Turner classic movies i'd never even heard of it george Stevens' movie uh called the only game in town young warren beatty yeah it's like 1970 uh, i think yeah yeah, yeah, older, older Elizabeth Taylor. He's a, a Vegas piano player who's also, like, a gambling addict, um, and she is a showgirl. And it's just this kind of, like, series of, like, the same four sets, like a kind of a chamber movie-ish type thing. Um, and I really, I really liked it. It's just an interesting, again, like, just an interesting little uh, movie to watch because you're just watching these two, you know, two heavyweights of, of Hollywood, uh, two of the biggest movie stars ever, um, sort of share these like really, really interesting intimate scenes. Um, and it's, it's totally worth a watch just for that reason. Um, but yeah, only game in town. Yeah. I
0: would recommend a Richard Brooks movie called dollars, um, which is literally the dollar sign, uh, uh as the, as the, uh, uh, title. And it's Warren beating Goldie Hawn, 1971. um, and it's not a great movie, but it's just a fun, silly caper, basically. Beatty and Han obviously have good chemistry together. They'd be in shampoo only a few years later. Town and country many years after that. Um, So just just in terms of kind of a lighter Beatty, definitely something to seek out. That's just an interesting movie. Looking at it now, music by Quincy Jones, that's kind of interesting in itself. And then Bugsy. Uh, Bugsy is a pretty great movie <laughs> from 91. Uh, that's the first movie that him and Annette Bening did, uh, directed by Barry Levinson, where he plays Bugsy Siegel. And i um, big fan of that movie. Uh, and so I would say definitely go out of your way to try to check that one out. That's another one where kind of underperformed, but um, it's very pretty, very big. Uh, it definitely got uh, a bunch of Oscar nominations. I, th- I think it – I don't know if it – yeah, one – for i'm looking at it now one for art direction so there you go and costume design but like Beatty was nominated he lost and Keitel's great in that movie ben kingsley's in it so yeah i mean look the guys made a lot of good fucking movies and i think you know um if rules don't apply as his last movie i think you know hey what we learned is that the rules didn't apply they never did they never did that's <laughs> what we learned and connor learned it uh late but he learned it
2: Late I learned all too late that the rules Um,
0: don't. Any final thoughts on our boy Beatty before we send him off into the sunset?
2: I I mean, I don't know. It's he's just one of those people I good or bad, A sides or B sides or what have you, uh I feel like it's all worth seeking out just because he's such a like prominent figure in, in the world of movie stardom, you know? Um yeah, I don't know. No it, it, there won't be another one like him. There's uh, true. You know, before or
0: yeah. since what about you, Josen? Anything? Any final
1: babies? I agree with that. Definitely uh uh one of a kind, one of the best to ever do it. And uh I think, you know, the fact that we have been talking as much about uh uh his exploits, you know, goes to the show, he's one of those rare few where even though the movies were super interesting, his personal life was just as interesting and uh maybe if not more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. one of the greats.
0: I couldn't agree more gentlemen thank you for joining me on this uh, this Beatty adventure and uh, we'll talk to you soon
2: all is fair in war and Beatty Beatty boys for
1: life